So perhaps you haven't seen him in a while. We have our trusty seminarian, Grant back, Grant Colburn. So he's in school at Mundelein Seminary. Comes here occasionally on the weekends to help out. So, you know, kind of get his toes a little wet, get into parish life, parish ministry. So we're so blessed to have you. I'm so grateful. I don't have to do all the readings. It gives me like a, a breather. <laughs> uh, but now it's really good that you're here. Because it's a great hope, I think, in our church. So today, these last few weeks really, vineyards and vines, they've been coming up everywhere. And I'm not talking about the swanky clothing line, right, from Martha's Vineyard, if you didn't know that's a thing. I'm talking about the original, the one Jesus uh, uses so often to teach us about the kingdom uh, and what is true, what we should focus our eyes on. But this particular uh, parable, there's a great moment of trial. It's pretty climactic against the leaders of the vineyard, the tenants, and its owner. Between the chief priests uh, and elders of the temple, uh, and between Jesus, who he's addressing in the beginning of this. So at the outset, two questions to keep in mind. One, are you in the vineyard? And two, are you focusing on the good fruits? The good fruits, not these wild fruits that are growing. And by that, are you producing good fruit? So we have this first reading from the prophet Isaiah, one of the greatest prophets, beautiful writings, his prophecies of the Messiah. And in this, he speaks of a great friendship. It's really a love story. He starts off saying, let me now sing of my friend, my friend's song concerning his vineyard. So it's setting us up for all these readings. But friend is actually not the best translation of the original word. A better translation is actually beloved. Let me now sing of my beloved, says this owner of the vineyard, my beloved song concerning his vineyard. So this is the preferred term that we find all over uh, the Old Testament, especially like in the Song of Songs, of this like love letter, these beautiful poems, very intimate, uh, between the Lord and his people. And so if we take this at its face value, the vineyard becomes a metaphor uh, for us, the beloved of the Lord, his beloved people. And it ultimately points uh, to the church, to the bride of Christ. And then our second reading, the letter um, that Paul writes, the Philippians, I think it's a really cool letter. I mean, he's just so bold, um, so clear in his wording. He's telling us to focus on the good, not the bad. He says, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, just, pure, lovely, whatever is gracious, think about these things. Think about those and keep on doing what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. What is that? It's not him, it's Christ. Christ lives within him. And then the God of peace will be with you. So if we take this, you know, encouragement from Paul, focus on the good things of this earth, right, on Christ ultimately, not on the bad, and then if we take the beautiful spousal imagery of the Old Testament from the prophet Isaiah and we combine them, it leads us to Christ. It leads us to he who is the most pure fruit. So those phrases, you know, you are what you eat, or you become who you surround yourself with, I think here ring true. And Paul knows this, Isaiah knows this, that what we contemplate, eventually we, we emulate. And the more and more we do that, the more ingrained, because we're creatures of habit, that'll become in our hearts. Furthermore, the eyes, you know, both physically and spiritually, are the gateway to our soul, right? What we view influences our very being. So, you know, if you're out there viewing really impure material online, in the media, whatever, eventually that's going to start to destroy your heart. It's going to destroy families. It's going to destroy uh, society, which we're seeing. So in our current times, you know, we, we do see this. 
we could become so enwrapped in the wild fruits, the bad fruit of this earth, those earthly stones, if you will. Maybe if you just, you know, watched the debate this last week or SNL last night, just all these political jokes just like dragging you down, you know, so much cynicism. I left this last week, you know, pretty frustrated interiorly. I was not at peace. We could lose focus on the good so easily. We could forget to make the Lord our object of contemplation. And from that, to go into the world, not vice versa, not to go in the world and then come to Mass once a week to recharge. It's the opposite way. So for example, a couple nights ago, so I was kind of reeling from this last week, kind of like down in some muck, and I was at and my day off in Rockford, visiting some really good high school friends. And one of my best friends, for a long time, I was able actually to marry him and his wife. It was my first wedding last year when I was a deacon. Deacons could do that. And so we're just sitting around the fire, you know, having a great time, sharing stories. I hadn't seen each other in a while. And they start asking me, like, first few months priesthood, what's it been like? And, like, I just go off. It's, like, been so beautiful. It's been challenging in ways I kind of imagined would come, but didn't know how powerful they would be. Um, they're like, have you had a lot of weddings? I'm like, oh, yeah, a lot of weddings. <laughs> Father Gidon gave me a lot of those. And uh, baptisms, I'm like, oh, yeah, tons of babies. Big babies at this church, a lot of baptisms. Not big babies physically, but just an <laughs> amount of baptisms. <laughs> I realize what I said there. And then he starts getting a little like kind of coy about it. And I'm just like, what's going on? Why are they? It's great they're asking questions, but. And then uh, my friend Zach eventually says, uh, like, well, do you think uh, like mid-April you'd be like down to do another baptism? And like bells are going off my head, like ding, 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 ding. <laughs> I just like am overwhelmed. I'm like, you guys are pregnant. And they're like, yeah, they're, we're with child. And it just like overwhelmed me with this joy. Not an earthly joy, it's it just the joy of life that comes from God alone. Just overwhelming peace. And just that muck that I was in from earlier in the week, focusing too much on the news, reading too much, um, just ripped me out of that and brought me back to what is truly important. It's amazing just what focusing on the good fruit can do in your life, um, but willfully choosing it, not letting it come to you all the time. So brothers and sisters, how much more powerful can this be then, this reality, if we focus on Jesus, if we have a regular prayer life, if we come to adoration when we have a free evening, if we focus on him, the ultimate good fruit. So take our gospel, right? Jesus is talking with these elders, these, these chief priests, um, and he's kind of you know, insinuating that they're, they're kind of focusing on the wild fruits. They're you know, not seeing the clearest so he tells them this parable. And the, the meaning of the parable has been passed down through the centuries. The church fathers teach about it, many saints, theologians. So the tenants that we hear at the beginning, they're these chief priests, these elders. The servants that the owner sends into the vineyard to get you know, what is rightfully his, they're the prophets. Small prophets, great prophets, just like Isaiah. But what happens when the prophets were sent to those leaders in the, the old covenant? They were killed. So eventually, he's, this owner's like, all right, I'll send my son, Jesus. And who's the owner then? It's, it's our father, God the Father. And then the story ends with this pretty great judgment on the tenants, which is the prediction of the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem uh, in 70 AD, uh, which no one thought would ever have been possible. But then at the end, Jesus continues, and he alludes to this cornerstone quoting sacred scripture again, which these priests, these elders would have known quite well. 
So he talks about this cornerstone, which obviously he is, that he is the true temple, not this temple that perhaps they're standing in front of in Jerusalem, that he is the temple. Look to me, he says, look to the good, good, sure fruit, that sure stone that doesn't fade like the stones of this earth. I am the true vine in the vineyard, which bears good fruit. And if you don't connect yourself to me, you're not gonna bear good fruit either. But they just didn't get it. They were just so focused on the temple and their way of life that they literally had the God of the universe that created them, that is holding them in existence as he's talking to them. And they don't see him. And then the gospel ends with a huge bang. Jesus says, therefore I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people that will produce fruit. He's not talking about ending the covenants. The covenants still endure to this day. The Jews are still the chosen people, right? The Lord still loves them. What he's talking about is there's a, a kingdom coming. He's predicting his own death on the cross. And from that cross, his side was pierced and the church flowed forth. That sacrifice at the Last Supper was completed in the Eucharist. So brothers and sisters, this fruit was just not 2,000 years ago and then abandoned. It's alive. It's well. It's going to be on this altar in a few moments. So I invite you this week to examine your heart, especially when you're coming forward for communion. Ask the Lord to reveal to you where there might be some wild fruit growing, some bad fruit that needs to be rooted out. But to remember, you can't just root out a fruit that you don't want, a vice. You have to replace it with a virtue. So to fill that void then uh, with Christ. And from that, uh, we go out into the world, just like Paul, and we be Jesus to everyone we meet.